Welcome in everybody to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host this evening, John Harris. Glad to be with you and kicking off the show with me are good, my good friends, DPC to Drew Doherty. Gang, how we doing? Drew, what's going on? Oh man, what a day. It's been a wild day. J. Joe retiring, or not retiring, but excuse me, the mutually agreed, uh, mutual agreement that he's going to free agency. Yeah. That came out, you know, we knew about it in the building about two hours before the yeah. whole rodeo announcement. So it's just been a, an odd day, but really bummed because he's one of my all-time favorites to deal with. He's one of the greatest Texans ever. He's going to go in the ring of honor someday. And um, I think I share the same feelings as you guys. Just sad to see him go. Wish the best for him. And uh, he was a great, great Texan. You said something out during before we were on the air that I want to make sure that we get uh, that we get into this. DP, uh, we all knew J. Joe. We all had an opportunity to talk to him outside locker room, inside locker room, down the hallway, near our offices. I mean, he was just, he was one of a kind. Yeah, I knew we were, didn't we draft a few weeks ago yeah, Texans players? And that I think. That didn't start their career with the Texans. That didn't start, and I, and he was my my favorite. He was the, he was the number one he pick. He was the number one pick. I had picked him, and, uh, you know, and I even said, like, it's going to be really strange when he's not in that locker room anymore. And and here we are, what, just a few weeks later, and he's not going to be in the locker room anymore. Yeah. And I and I just always – I think I'm always going to remember that he's got that corner locker yeah. in the ba- and just off to the side, and you'd always see younger players, older players, veteran players, um, offensive, defensive players just pull up their chairs, gather around him, yeah. and just be chatting. Uh, throughout the week, especially like late in the week on Fridays. And I always tried to pitch a show to him called J. Joe's Corner, where we put a t- couple of chairs, a little lamp, and then he just gives advice, like life advice, because I knew on that's anything. what he was doing. Yeah. And so he always he always like laughed when I told him that, but I was like, I- I'm going to make it happen. So <laughs> my biggest regret is that I could not make that come to fruition. Yeah. But he, he must have had some – I would love to see him mic'd up for some of those conversations in my life. It has definitely been a newsy couple of days. One, from a world perspective, hitting Houston with the rodeo being canceled. It's just kind of odd to be here at this time of night and look around. There's nobody here. You're, like, you're so used to seeing gatekeepers and everything that works here at the rodeo mm-hmm. completely out of the building and or getting out of the building, moving out of the building. It's just been – that's been kind of odd. And then, of course, from the Texas perspective, Darren Fells and Kymie Fairbairn signed yesterday. DeAndre Carter signed today. And then the news of Jonathan Joseph uh, mutually agreeing to go into free agency. And I, I wonder what the market will be. And I, I, I said this to uh, John McClain. He came over to our studios. Our studios. Sports Radio 610. Where it's I've now been your studio it's because you've studio. been there. You've been there all week. Yeah, I've, I've been there. I've got squatters rights, I guess. But <laughs> I I, um, I said to him something about, um, you know, J. Joe and what, you know, what he means to this organization. And it's just everybody that's around him. John said this. Everybody that's around him has a positive interaction with him. Mm-hmm. Everybody. Everybody you meet has a positive interaction I mean, that includes, with, with him. That includes us, too. That includes the media. I mean, we, right. we've covered him in winning seasons. We've covered him in a 2-14 and 14 season. Whether it was a win, whether it was a loss, you could always count on Jonathan Joseph to step aside, answer any questions mo- tactfully, well, thoughtfully. I mean, he, everyone liked him, not just the players. The media loved working with him, too. Yeah. He was a pleasure to talk to and to work with. I mean, I think I tweeted it out right after the news that he was one of the guys that – Anytime I saw him, he's DP. How are the kids? 
How the yeah. kids doing? We would we would talk about life. We would talk about our kids, what they were up to. His older son um, was very similar in age to my older son. Our kids were pretty similar in age, yeah. and I know he just had a baby. Put it on Instagram uh, yesterday. So oh. had a baby boy, and I, I mean, just sort of fun to see him as a. You could totally see him as a family guy as well as a player because. You know, he just uh, he just exuded that. He was more than just a player for this team. I I said to John, as we talked about, you know, J. Joe, and I said, if you still feel like you can play, like I've given this advice to a couple players, Gerard Johnson, who's now with the Colts, he was kind of trying to decide whether he should keep going after a spot in the NFL or go coach. He was trying to kind of figure out where he wanted to go. And I remember I was sitting at, at lunch with him at a Texas event, and he was kind of going through that. I said, look, do you still love playing game, playing a game? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, love playing a game. I was like, play it until you can't, or they tell you you can't. Because it's not like you can go play a pickup game of basketball. You don't have pickup games of football. So if you can play, play. And, I, I mean, that would be my advice to, to Joe, as long as he wants to continue to play. And if somebody wants to employ it, man, keep playing. Keep playing. But that said, I'd like to think that at some point when he is completely done and the cleats get hung up, that he does come back here. I, I think – I'm well. I mean, I'm I would be shocked if he didn't. I'd be I'm shocked optimistic if he didn't. that yeah. he will come back. I was not optimistic when Andre Johnson. I would. I never would have. I never would have right. even considered Andre coming back. Even, you know, Brian Cushing too. I would not have considered those guys coming back to this building one day. But I think maybe because they've come back, that I look at a guy like JJ and think I'd like to have this that guy in this organization some way, shape, or form. Yeah, we talked about it with him multiple times over the last four or five years about what he's going to do when he finishes because. You know, we've heard from so many different folks, oh, this guy would be a great coach, mm-hmm. talking about Jonathan Joseph. And he's he said, yeah, there's an interest there, but I don't know that he wants to necessarily have the grind and the hours that NFL coaches have to have as assistants, as head coaches too. So we'll see. But maybe the, I'm sure there's a role that you could be figured out or that could be figured out for him because he certainly has a lot of knowledge, a lot of wisdom to impart upon people. He's a good person like we heard to be around he was always holding court in his locker. Yep. Like DP said, I wrote about that in an article that just went out earlier today on HoustonTexans.com. He definitely has a future kind of of his choosing off the field when he, uh, when he does hang it up. And I can't wait to see what it is because yep. he's, he's going to be successful at it, whatever it is. You know, Andre Johnson used to say that. He said, I, I, don't, wanna, I don't think I want to coach in the NFL because the hours are long. Mm-hmm. It's such a grind. But I think the, some of these players, when they're removed from it long enough, they sort of miss just being in the yeah. locker room and being around the guys. Like, as much as they say, oh, I want to coach high school kids, I don't think they – it's not the same feeling for them in the locker room as it is when they come back here. And with Brian Cushing here and Akeem Dent and TJ Yates, a lot of J. Joe's former teammates, I could see it being more more of a more of an attractive option for him mm-hmm. because it wouldn't be just him and a bunch of coaches and then a bunch of younger players. There's now this group of uh, pro football players that are now retired that are in coaching. Yeah. One of the most fascinating things about J. Joe, and it became the more that I that I heard, I, I knew that he was, it, I mean, football IQ off the charts, all that kind of stuff. And I knew he was great in the locker room with younger players. I mean, I knew all of that. But we were interviewing Hop one time, and we were in the old studio. We were interviewing Hop, and we were talking about just, you know, what what he's learned over the years. Like, what are the things that he's taken in? Like, is there a player that you look to – that kind of helps you with all that. And we weren't even thinking about, like, Jonathan Joseph or anybody on the defensive side. You only thought maybe Andre Johnson or something like that. And the first person he mentioned was Jonathan Joseph. And I kind of looked at him. He goes, yeah, man. He goes, I come off the field. He goes, J. Joe's the first person to talk to me. 
and get in my ear and tell me what coverage they're in. What what were you thinking against that coverage? Like, J. Joe was the first guy to talk to DeAndre Hopkins coming off the field. And I just thought, man. And so, I thought, okay, well, maybe that's a receiver DB thing. You know, maybe that's just the way it is. And then we were talking to Sean after his first year. He sat down in here with me and Mark last last spring or two springs ago. And we were talking to him about that. And he brought up J. Joe. He was like, yeah, J. Joe comes over and he's he's saying, hey, these are the coverages. Here's what they're trying to do. And he talked about the different adjustments. And, like, J. Joe's one of the first guys that would, you know, basically get to him on the field, you know, before he sat down and would talk to Tim Kelly or the coaches or, or whomever. And I was like, that just was fascinating to me. Because once you get – and I learned this once I got to college – Offense and defense live such separate lives. They're so separate. Offense in one meeting room, defense in the other. You only get together, uh, you know, for team meetings, and then when you play games, that's it. Other than that, you're completely and totally separate. So what I'm doing on defense, why am I going over and talking to my offensive guys? And it's the same in the NFL. It's it, even maybe even more so because, yeah, at least in college, you know, you live together, you live in the same dorm, like there's some of that. NFL totally separate, but yet here's J. Joe with that knowledge, and then knowing how to impart that knowledge and wisdom on young guys, no matter what position they played. I thought that was just incredible to hear. You, he wants you know to what? win. He wants to win, and yeah. he knows if he supplies them with that knowledge, it's going to help the team get better. And, you know, there's there's a lot of guys that have been like that. Don't always hear the stories, but, you know, Danielle Manning was 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 that way too. Owen Daniels when they were around. Yep. A lot of guys, Andre Johnson. So it's been cool to hear and been cool to see, and it's been fun for the last decade. I mean, he, he basically, aside from 2010, he was – on the Texans defense the yep. entire decade and it was it was a fun ride because before he got here oh god season before he got here was the worst they were the worst pass defense in the NFL they were 32nd they brutal. were horrible and he was part of a quintet that had not been around in, in 10 it was him Connor Barwin Daniel Manning Wade Phillips and um oh gosh I'm forgetting somebody else uh, the kid from Wisconsin uh, yeah JJ those five faces in large part Helped change everything, you know, for uh, for that defense in 2011. And you also had Cushing playing like yeah. an MVP. You had D'Amico Ryan's back, so so many uh, good things came. But he was one of the he was the marquee name to come through the door yep. in free agency once the lockout ended in late July. You know, he's an influential person, not even just in this locker room. This year, I was at the Pro Bowl up in Orlando, and I may put the story back out there for people that may that may have missed it the first time around. But Stefan Gilmore, Defensive Player of the Year. He grew up in Rock, Rock Hill, Hill, South yeah. Carolina, yep. with Jonathan Joseph, with Jadavian Clowney. And I just, you know, I was asking him about uh, Deshaun Watts and some of the offensive players that he faces. But when I got to J. Joe, he lit up and he said, oh, J. Joe's my guy. Yeah. Like that, he said that's why he started playing the position was because of his conversations with Jonathan Joseph, which I thought was fascinating because – you know, he's playing at such a high level, and J. Joe's here towards the end of his career. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the fact that he has he still calls on J. Joe and asks his advice, they still keep in touch very much so. I think he's had an influence on a lot. I think when he does retire, when that day does come, we're going to hear more and more of these stories, from especially from names that we didn't even expect to hear it from. Here's, here's the other thing to consider. They mutually agree that he's going to go into free agency. This doesn't mean that he is absolutely, without a doubt, Death and taxes are the only things that are assured in life gone from the Texans playing. I mean, if there's some injuries at some point and he's still out there, there's a there's a chance he could come back that's, at that that's point. That's a great point. I don't, I don't yeah. think it'll happen. But having a guy like that, I mean, I think about Mike Adams. Mm-hmm. And Mike Adams is somebody McClain and I, John McClain and I were talking about over at 
our studios at Sports Radio 610. We're talking about Mike Adams. You know, Mike Adams is a guy that was on the street, didn't know he was going to have a job. His kids are like, Daddy, are you going to go do football? Um, and he finally did. He did it here. And it was great to have Mike Adams for that, for that season. And, and maybe that happens with J. Joe. Maybe nothing happens right away. And maybe he's thinking, well, maybe it's time. And then, hey, some injuries happen here. A guy moves there. Uh, some, somebody gets suspended. Who knows? And maybe there's an opportunity. So uh, it's, you, you never say never, not in this league. But I do think at some point, I hope we all at least get the chance to be able to, you know, shake his hand and say thanks for everything because he, he was the best free agent signing this organization's ever had. Mm-hmm. Yes, true. Oh, yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The only one that would come close would be Antonio Smith. Yeah, Ninja's up there. But but JJ signed multiple contracts too, mm-hmm. contract mm-hmm. extensions. We were just talking about that the last time. Like, how many cornerbacks do you know have played out as many contracts Not as many. Jonathan Joseph? Not many. Not many at all. So that is your big item for today. Jonathan Joseph and the Texans have mutually agreed that JJ will move on into free agency. And if he has indeed played his last game for the Texans, bravo, mate. Bravo. He was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, in so many different ways, not just on the field, off the field, with everybody. There is nobody that you're going to find anywhere that has got a crossword to say about Jonathan Joseph. And seeing Jonathan Joseph and Kareem Jackson together all those years in the locker room, I mean, that would just be a sight. Wherever you saw 24, you saw 25 and vice versa. So uh, that, was a, that was a good run for those guys. And, uh, and Kareem's doing good things in, in Denver. We'll see what happens with Jonathan Joseph. Now, using Jonathan Joseph as our inspiration, Coming up next, it's our Wednesday night draft. And I want you to think about 2011. Not just that year, but every year after. Talk about what that's going to be on our Wednesday night draft next on Texans All Access. Welcome back to a Wednesday edition. Oh, Wednesday, 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 Wednesday night draft. It's that time from Dante Texans Radio Studio. John, DP, Drew, we'll pour one out for Mark because he is somewhere not here. But I know he He's would have washing tw- his hands and singing, uh, singing Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, you're right about that. Right up until you're, you're right part. about that. Yeah. Now, using I don't know what, you're, what he's doing. Jay Joe is our inspiration. Well, Drew thinks he's in Russia <laughs> doing some acting. I think that's what we had come up with last time. But either way, Russia. What's the nice draft tonight? Stranger Things season four. Oh yeah, Stranger. <laughs> that's right. The the statement that was put out by the Texans today, Jonathan Joseph. And the Texans mutually agreed that J. Joe would move on into free agency. And it got me thinking about what would be a good Wednesday night draft. Because one of them we did a couple weeks ago, which DP alluded to in the first segment, and that was your favorite, your favorite Texan that didn't that wasn't drafted by the Texans. And so J. Joe was our very first pick. So I thought, you know what? There's more news about J. Joe. Okay, I use that one before I can't use that one again. And I thought, you know. While J. Joe was here, and Drew alluded to this, from 2011 moving forward, this defense has been one of the better ones in the league. 2011 defense was absolutely phenomenal. 2016 defense was just incredible. There have been some really, really good defenses over that time since J. Joe got here in 2011. Now, he wasn't the only one, as Drew said, to come into 2011. Daniel Manning, J.J. Watt, uh, Connor Barwin came back healthy. Wade Phillips took over as defense coordinator. But Jonathan Joseph signed. And he made plenty of plays on the field, creating a lot of moments throughout those years. So I thought, hmm, this could be a good Wednesday night draft. And it is our favorite defensive moments 
from 2011, from the time Jonathan Joseph got here, in addition to a few other guys, through the 2019 season, your favorite defensive moments. It doesn't have to be J. Joe. It doesn't have to be, but over that time frame, I guarantee you we're going to at least have one or two favorite J. Joe moments. Oh, but these, 2011 through 2019. These are not all J. Joe defensive moments? They don't moments? all no. have to be J. Joe defensive Ooh, moments. Okay. They can be whatever. You, they're your personal moment. Mine might not be all J. Joe because that's uh, it's just on my mind going there for so, today. Yeah, so it can be anything. All right. You want to like go it. first or you want to go last? You need a second? Well, I'll just go first because okay, I'll just I'll, I'll keep it J. Joe since all right. we're on that. And, all right, so DP goes first. Yeah. Your favorite defensive moment. 2011 through 2019, well, in the era of J. Joe. In the era of J. Joe. Yeah. Mm. DP, go. All right. Well, I, I mean, I thought, and this is my bad for not following instructions, I thought it was favorite J. Joe moments, but this well, is still okay. up there. I think the, the defensive performance against the Patriots on Sunday Night Football, okay. winning finally against Tom Brady and the Patriots under Bill O'Brien was probably one of my favorites. It, I picked it for J. Joe because in that game, he had uh, two passes defensed, four tackles. He passed Rondé Barber for the most career games with multiple passes defensed in NFL history. So he made NFL history. And then at the same time, earlier in the week, he had talked about how he had never beaten Tom Brady and the Patriots. Right. And how, you know, a lot of players downplay, like, well, it's just another game. we got to win every game. But he said, we've been so close. He said, we've been close, close, close. We've never gotten it done. He's like, I don't want any moral victories. I want to win this game. So I knew it meant a lot to him. And then he t- tells a story um, about how he the first time he faced Brady with the Bengals, he was preparing to blitz him. Actually, I think I have the story. Here it is. Oh, yeah, he's, all day 22 is coming, 22 is coming. And I thought I was doing everything in disguise to show that I wasn't coming. And in my head, I knew I was coming, so I was all <laughs> I was all over the place. I was like, what's going on here? But, you know, over time, I kind of understood and, you know, put the time in, and I can see exactly from a def- – Defensive standpoint, what he sees from a quarterback standpoint when guys are tipping things and telling things, that's just one of those things that just always stuck with me. Yeah, so basically <laughs> Tom Brady was calling out uh, J. Joe running running towards him saying, you know, 22 is coming, 22 is coming. And he said, <laughs> it, just, it just messed him up because he said, yeah. I knew I was coming, but how did he know I was coming? That's pretty so, good. So, uh, you know, he had so much respect for Tom Brady, but the fact that he got a win over him, probably one of my favorite moments. Yeah, that's really that good. Whole, that entire game. Yeah. Because I know Roby had the pick in that game, so. Every part of that. that so game. you get the whole game. I'm just going to take the whole game, Take the guys. whole game. All right. All right I'm going to be good. like Drew. Right. I'm just going to take everything. Yeah. I take all nine years. I take everything. <laughs> that covers I know, everything. I feel like I left the really big defensive moment in the era of J. Joe on the table. So uh-huh. you're welcome. That's my there Christmas you, gift there, to you there guys. You go. All right. Drew, go. All right. Favorites, I'm going with the pick six 2018 against the Bills because Texans are two and three. The two wins had just come after starting 0-3, and, and they both had made you go to overtime. So now you got the Bills in there with two with a, a rookie quarterback who you knock out of the game and then really a guy who probably shouldn't have been playing quarterback in Nathan Peterman, and you'd already picked him off once. Or, well, no, you didn't pick him off once. You, you would wind up picking him off twice, but it's 13-13. They got the ball, and there's a minute 30 left, and you sort of had a sinking feeling around those times because – just of what you'd seen in the first month of the year. What does J. Joe do? Picks off the pass. But what was special about it for me is I was down in that southwest tunnel, and I'd been there with about five minutes to go. So the Texans were trailing when I got down there. And I was watching it and just checking things out because that was like my spot. 
the lucky spot. And whenever I went down there, the Texans would always come back and win. And they did it that day, and he ran right in front of me, uh, right through the end zone when he scored, and I was just going bananas. And I was just so happy and so relieved because there was the, the, the sense of relief was almost as great as the sense of happiness because you were looking at going two and four, and instead mm. you're three and three, and you know they just kept winning, and they would ultimately peel off nine wins total in that, in that win streak. But that was a fun one. And John and I, we detailed it in in, in a uh, film room last year. Yeah. You even circled me on the all twenty two from did. the high end zone Gotcha's spot. Good. You could see me flailing around, going crazy. <laughs> that was a fun one. Join and, the crew, uh, brother. There's join, a lot. Join the crew. There's a lot of great moments from this era that you're talking about defensively for the Texans. But I'm going to go with that one since it pertains to J. Joe and since it just just this the overwhelming sense of relief. So yeah, I'm going to go with that. Okay, it's a good one, Drew. Uh, I. I like that one. All right. I am going to go. I, I I feel like since both of you guys went with a J. Joe moment to start off with, I feel like I probably should go with a J. Joe moment. Probably should. But, um, yeah, I'm going to go with the J. Joe moment. 2015 to start. Doesn't have to be J. Joe. Keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to go with the J. Joe moment to start. 2015 at Indianapolis. Brandon Whedon mm-hmm. just hit Jalen Strong on a little return route to the flat. And Jalen scores the Colts killer. Texans take a 13 to nothing lead. And I remember Mark saying, can they hold this lead? They've never, I mean, they've never been in that position in Indianapolis. They'd never won in Indianapolis. And I just remember during breaks, Mark and I mean, Mark almost didn't even speak. I think he was hyperventilating. During a break, like, could they get this done? Could they get this done? So they score to make it 13-10. And a few plays after, I think it was a, um, I think it was maybe the second down play after the Texans, you know, they had taken that lead at 13-10. to The Colts had the ball with about uh, three minutes and some change left. And Matt Hasselbeck went back to throw, and he flipped one out to Griff Whalen. And Waylon turned a corner, and he got drilled by J. Joe. Just got absolutely hammered. The ball fell on the turf. And what I remember about that was the crowd, when Waylon catches the ball, you can hear the crowd start to cheer. And then when J. Joe hits him, the ball's on the turf, and it just goes silent. The place went completely silent. Kareem picked it up, ran it back. He didn't get it in the end zone, but he got it far enough down. The Texans were able to kick a field goal and take a 16-10 lead. And then... They sealed it with an A.J. Boye interception a little while later. But that hit from J. Joe, because we always remember remember his picks. I mean, Drew talked about his pick six. You had pick sixes against Cleveland. I'm not stealing all the different ideas that you might have had about J. Joe. He had the the pick sixes against Cleveland in 2017. But that hit put his helmet right on the ball. The ball popped out in such a huge moment. So my first moment is going to be 2015 against Indianapolis, J. Joe's forced fumble that helped put the Texans in the lead to keep the lead in their first win at Indianapolis. That's my number one. DP, you're next. Okay, well, I feel like if we're talking best defensive games or plays. Or moments. Or moments. Uh I mean, I feel like we've got to go J.J. Watt, 2011. First playoff win in franchise history against the Bengals. J. Joe's former team. Yeah. That was his first season here with the Texans. But I feel like that game, iconic, one of the best. I mean, that picture of J.J. running into the end zone after after the pick six is 
I mean, it's pretty much everyone's favorite picture. Yeah. Favorite moment, or if if not one of their top three, I would have to say. Yeah. So I, I I'm gonna put that one out there. I remember J.J. Watt saying the next day. He went to Galveston. It was the next year, a few days later, he went to Galveston. Maybe it was after the season, because I don't see them going to Galveston like after a game yeah. like that, because you're still prepping. But at some point, very close to that, he went to Galveston. He said people started recognizing him. Yeah. And that's when he realized like people now know who he is. Yeah. That season, I was not working for the Texans. I came to a game, and a friend of mine uh, had sideline passes that he wasn't using. So mm. I took myself and my son on the sidelines. And everyone was clamoring to get Mario Williams' uh, autograph. Yeah. And <laughs> over here off to the side is just J.J. Watt talking to this this nice little old couple. Yeah. And I, I told my son, I said, hey, that's that's a Texans first-round draft pick. Yeah. Do you want his autograph? He said, okay, sure. We go over there. It turns out they were J.J.'s neighbors. Oh. Like in Pearland that yeah, he invited yeah. to the game. And J.J. signed my son's hat. And nobody, there was not a single person around him. We still have that hat. Which my son almost left at the game because he was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "You," I was, and I even joked. I said, "That might be worth something someday." That's awesome. So uh, that was that was a fun. And game. it was probably the last time that JJ last time he had never had anybody <laughs> around him, or, or never had anybody or had nobody him. wanting to come watch him at the games. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> it was really interesting because yeah, that happened, and then later that off season, there was an event. Uh, the Texans were kind of co-hosting this kids triathlon over at U of H, and. It's since been brought over here on the grounds, but it was at U of H that year, and he just showed up. Like normally, the Texans will have players, and they're there, and it's scheduled for them. He just showed up because he was bored. It was the off season, and <laughs> he he was it. like, "Well, let's go bored. hang around." He's he hadn't become that big yet because yeah. he had the twelve season in which he erupted, but it had started there in December. You know, mm-hmm. mid December he started really just balling out and playing the way we kind of know him as a rookie, today yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but he's it's like he said he still wasn't what had not reached the the pinnacle yet yeah and he was just kind of hanging out yeah, yeah it was, he was, he was amazing. started to go off on a tangent there no, that's all right <laughs> but it's just building off what dp did yeah. dp second pick the watt pick six okay second round drew your second rounder i'm gonna keep rolling with jj and you could do this you could do the whole list jj if you wanted but Good. i'm gonna go with recency and the sack against the bills Ooh, in the playoffs one. The the uh, the spark that lit it all, you know, he he came mm-hmm. and got Josh Allen and and really got the fans back into it, got the momentum back into it, and that was a fun one. And I just remember loving that day. That was a fun fun game to be at. I I think it's the best Texans game I've ever been to. Boy, it was stressful. Yeah, it was stressful. I don't know that I've been more stressed. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever been more stressed in a game. That was. I think we went through one. every emotion possible. In that game, pretty we much all, we all sadness, anger, d- anger, denial, happiness. <laughs> I was yeah. at shock. Ex- I was at acceptance when things started to turn around. <laughs> yeah. What are the what are the stages of, of grief? <laughs> I think we went through those through the first two and a half like, quarters. I was like, it is what it is. I'll you know we'll we'll try again next year. My weekends will open up. I'll have a little time to rest. I mean, I'm trying to pump myself up for what yeah. I think is like an off the inevitable, the inevitable, and then it just and then it turned it, around. It and, changed. Yeah. Okay, uh, I'm going to go back to Indy for mine. Picked J. Joe's forced fumble in 2015. Well, the following year, the Texans went back. And they had, in 2016, they went to go play Andrew Luck this time. In 15, it was Hasselbeck. In 16, it was Andrew Luck. And the Texans had just come off a losing streak. They were 6-3 and three after a win at Jacksonville. Went to Mexico City. Lost. 
went to play the um, Chargers. Chargers right after that. Lost. Went to Green Bay. Played okay for a while. Lost. So now they're sitting at 6-6 six and six and getting ready to face the Indianapolis Colts with luck, and I believe the Colts at the time were 6-6 six and six as well. The Texans really dominated physically that game. Just ran and ran and ran and ran and ran. But because it's Andrew Luck, he got them back in the game. And the Texans were up 16-10. And Luck had gotten the Colts down inside the five. And I just remember thinking, okay, look, it's fine. It's touchdown makes a 17-16. We'll be okay. We're, we're, we'll be all right. We'll, we'll survive this somehow. Because I just resigned myself to the fact that Luck will find a way to get this ball into the end zone. And the Colts decided to block Jadeveon Clowney with Dwayne Allen. And Clowney comes off the edge. He takes Allen and just Dwayne turn- Allen's a tight end for those of you who yeah, don't remember. And he's also a Clemson Tiger, yeah. which Jadeveon Clowney, I think, loved more than anything else because I talked to him after the game. He's our player of the game. And it was the first time I had really had a chance to talk to Clowney after a game. And I asked him that. And that was the thing he was most happy about. And he turns Dwayne Allen like just inside out and then jumps on Andrew Luck, knocks the ball out of his hand, it goes down on the ground. Looks like Colts going to fall out. Whitney dives, moves the ball out of the way, then falls on it. They would not score. The Colts wouldn't. The Texans would go on kick a field goal, go up 19-10, end up winning that game. And they did it. I think it was 22-16. They did it in large part because of that clowny play. So mine is going to be 2016. Jadeveon Clowney strip sacked down on the goal line. Against play of the year. Indy. It's the play of the year that year. Yep, that was good. That, right. that was one of my favorites. I'm going to go the same season. Okay, 2016. Uh, Third round. Oh, actually, it'll be it'll be the end of 2015. End of 2015. Yeah, okay. let's let's do that one. End of 2015. Um, uh, the 30 to six win over Jacksonville. Ooh, that's okay. the one that officially clinched the AFC South for the Texans. Yep. Week 17. Yep. Week 17. Yeah, week 17. Uh, JJ had a monster game. He had like three sacks, eight tackles, forced yep. fumble, fumble recovery in that game. So I think anytime you beat an AFC South, I, I feel like I could pick Indy for a lot of these games. But I like some of these Jacksonville games because I feel like those. Well, in that Jacksonville game, Whitney had three sacks too. Didn't they both have mm-hmm. like three and a half? Whitney sacks Whitney had game? one in that. Was it that game or was it the earlier one that year? I think it was in 2015. Or he Tennessee? Had, was it Tennessee that year? Well, the one against Tennessee, he was phenomenal. But I want to say oh, yeah, in that game in 2015, too. Clowney was hurt, and Whitney and Whitney and JJ just sacked everything. They, but that was er- that was Boyle. earlier, right? Because by the end of the season, Clowney was back. No, I don't. I don't think by Clowney midway. played in that game because remember, and going into the playoff game. Oh, maybe in not. the playoff game. Remember, Clowney locker. Clowney was not active for the playoff right. game because he had been banged up, and I don't remember where it was. What when it when it he happened. was sort of spotty that season. Yeah, that was the there. 2015 year. Mm-hmm. Um, he was he was kind of in and out, and that's when Whitney just. He Whitney's just had some off. monster games against the Jaguars in recent years. Yeah, hey, he's pretty darn good. He's, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. That defensive performance in that 15 game, I mean, the 16-1 against Jacksonville could have been the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Could have been the exact same thing because in 16, I was absolutely 1,000% convinced that Jacksonville could have played for eight quarters and not gone more than 150 yards of total offense that day. Yeah. It was the most dominant. And they and the thing was, it was 21-20. But it was all because Brock threw three interceptions and they took a kickoff return to the house is the only way they scored. But in 2016, 2018, they could have played for two and a half games that day, and it wouldn't matter. They would have got over 200 total yards. So that's a good one, DP. That is round three. Drew, 
your round three pick is coast to coast pick six 2018 at Washington Ooh. Justin Reed oh yeah that's a great one going the whole way I love that one that was a huge play that wound up being a really close game but that was the play of the game probably defensive play of the year that season in 2018 and uh yeah I'm gonna go with that okay all right pick six I, I had Justin Reed on on my list watch this I'm gonna pull a Drew DP I had Justin Reed's <laughs> honorable two mention point, two good, point good. play stop. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's a good I had one. that one. I was considering one. I was but. considering that. Uh but I didn't pick that. I picked this one, my final one. In fact, it really didn't pop in my head. I was thinking about twenty eighteen because I was thinking about that. I was thinking about Justin Reed's pick. I was thinking about J. Joe and the picks he had against Cleveland in twenty seventeen. He took that one that that one to the house. I was considering the Buffalo oh, yeah, one. Yeah. Drew Drew picked that one. But the one I'm going to go with is also from 2018. And it happened on a Monday night against the Tennessee Titans. And it's the play right before Lamar Miller oh, goes 97 yards. Oh, the stop, yeah. That's a pretty good one, yeah. Zach Cunningham. And you could actually make it a – you could go a double dip that year. Zach Cunningham, fourth and one stops. Actually, he's third and one against Dallas. Could have gone with that one. Yeah. Because he gets a third and one stop, forces the punt. The Texans then hit Spinorama to Hopkins. You know, hop spins. Uh, to kick the field to beat Dallas. But I felt like Monday night, that game on Monday night, we all remember as the first game after Bob McNair had passed. It was a Monday night. It was against a team that had formerly been in Houston and all these connections to the Titans for that particular weekend. I just remember the, the moment of silence before the game. There's a picture of Deshaun that's in our boardroom from that moment. And it's just like, I want that. I want that picture. Like that's the it's the most beautiful picture. The lighting. The lighting was just perfect. It was right. just, everything was awesome about it. And then the game right starts, the mm-hmm. and the Texans are down ten nothing immediately. Yeah. Immediately, they hit a sixty-one yard pass. Mm-hmm. Nobody's covering the guy, the tight end down the middle. Like, what are we doing, guys? Taylor Luan's over there talking trash to our fans. And all of a sudden, we start. We just go boom, boom. Demarius Thomas has a touchdown. Smoked we get another him. touchdown, and now we're at fourteen ten. But now they got the ball inside the five yard line, and it's fourth and one. And they run Luke Stocker on a little fullback dive. He's playing tight end. And Zach Cunningham. A regrettable play call, by Stones him. Yeah. <laughs> let's run our backup tight end. Yeah. The ba- let's put our backup tight end at fullback and give him a, a dive play. Yeah. And Zach Cunningham hits him first. Bernard McKinney hit him second and stuffed him at the three. And why the reason, Drew, your pick right before that kind of that triggered a, a thought about this was that when they – when we stopped them, or when it was fourth and one, I remember thinking, man, this would be a really cool time for another Justin Reed pick six. And I'm kind of laughing to myself. And it kind of turned into that because they stopped them, and then the next, next play, play, Lamar went the other direction. So it wasn't quite a pick six. It wasn't in one play, but it was in two plays. Yeah. So my third and final pick uh, in, in the third round is 2018, Monday Night Football, Zach Cunningham, Roderick McKinney stopping Luke Stocker. Short of a first down, the Texans – Lamar Miller would go 97 yards on the very next play. Great job, guys. Thanks. Really appreciate it. And, Drew, we're going to use you in this following segment because DeAndre Carter, the recently signed DeAndre Carter, All right. joined Drew back in December to talk about a cause that is near and dear to both of their hearts. Let's celebrate DeAndre Carter next right here on Texans All Access. We've got one final segment of this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris. And it has been a wild day. I think it's going to be one of those that you'll remember where you were when. I've never seen the rodeo shut down. It's shut down due to the fears of coronavirus. NCAA tournament, never watched a game with no fans in the stands. 
if the NCAA tournament does go on as scheduled, not going to have any fans in the stands. That was decided today. It was also decided between Jonathan Joseph and the Houston Texans that Jonathan will be allowed into free agency. And so the nine-year career he had with the Texans seemingly over. Boy, that was a tough pill to swallow. If there was good news to come out today, it came out of the news that DeAndre Carter re-signing with the Texans. Well, back in December, as the Texans were readying for their My Cause, My Cleats game, Drew Doherty sat down with DeAndre Carter as both realized they both suffer from the same type of diabetes. We did not know this about DeAndre Carter until this particular moment, and Drew had a great discussion with him. Let's celebrate the man who has overcome so much, not only in his career, but in his life to get to this moment and sign today with the Texans, and that is my man, DeAndre Carter. Right now we got DeAndre Carter. Yes, sir. Punt returner, receiver. You could do it all. I mean, you could probably play some other things, too, if you needed to. If they asked me to, I could do it. You yeah. could do it. I know. I know. But you've got an excellent cause. Tell us about what your cleats look like and why you chose them. Yeah, they came out nice. Uh, juvenile diabetes is my cause. Uh, you know, I was diagnosed when I was younger, 14 years old. Um, but uh, blue, blue and red. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, great design. They came out great. Love them. Uh, but the blue is obviously for, you know, juvenile diabetes and everything. So, uh, yeah, man, excited to, you know, put those pictures out there, go out there and represent that cause so we can bring some awareness to it. Yeah. You know, a lot of people in, in the country, a lot of people worldwide have diabetes. Most of those people have type two diabetes mm-hmm. and folks like you and actually folks like me too. Yeah. We are type one diabetics. Exactly. Which means we need insulin to to help control things. Right. So it's a little bit uh a little bit smaller well a, a lot smaller segment of the, the diabetes population mm-hmm. and not many NFL players have this have this exactly. uh, this disease. I mean, I know there have been a couple that have come through the Texans Jay Cutler is the most famous NFL player. That's I think, the one that, that comes to mind. Comes I know Patrick, mind, yeah. Pe- Patrick Peterson has it as well. Patrick Peterson. See, I yeah. did not know that. Mm-hmm. But there's not many that have this. What's it like playing NFL football with diabetes? It's a uh, once you get, you know, I've had it, you know, for a while, so I got a pretty good control over it. But uh, it's just an added responsibility that you got to make sure you stay on top of, right? Uh, checking your blood sugar throughout the game, halftime, in between quarters, and things like that, making sure. Uh, Blood sugar is not too high, not too low yeah. during the game and things like that, or practice. Uh, it's not a, it's not a, a big burden, just some extra that you got to make sure you stay on top of. And that's kind of one of the the keys here. It's mm-hmm. it was once a a terrible thing. It's it's a bad illness, but it was yeah. once just debilitating for a lot of people. But you're an example of somebody that's thriving with it. Exactly. It's definitely you know just making sure people know that. You can still do whatever it is that your your goals, your dreams, your aspirations are. Uh, even if you have this diagnosis, as you can see, I'm still able to go out and do my job at a high level. Um, but it's not it's not like you said it's not something that's debilitating that you that you just can't do anything. Uh, very once you get control over it, get a good manage on it, then uh, it's pretty easy to go out and do live life as a regular person. No doubt. Now you're in your mid twenties. You got diagnosed though, right before your freshman year of high school. What, mm-hmm. what happened? What, what was the change? Right. Or so, changes? Yeah. So I'm right before, like I said, before my freshman year, we're actually in like football, summer workouts and things like that. Uh, but I started like losing a lot of weight really fast. I got down to what? 76 pounds. I think it was from probably one, I was one fifty then, a little lighter, wow. but, uh, but I lost a lot of pounds, a lot of weight. Um, going to the bathroom, you know, urinating a lot, 
I, I was sleeping a lot, like way more than normal all throughout yeah. the day, sleeping I was probably sleep maybe eighteen hours out of the day. And this uh, is in a span of about like a month or two. A month or two, this yeah, out. yeah, that, yeah. And it was all going crazy. Um, and then one one day football practice, uh, I couldn't make it through practice, so my coach sent me home. Uh, told my dad I wasn't feeling well and everything like that. And I went home, started throwing up, crazy everything. Uh, so my dad took me to the hospital, um, and then they ran the test and everything, and they. Told me I had type one diabetes and it was yeah. uh, type two runs in my family. Right. Um, so I was familiar with it, but uh, the insulin part of it was new to me. Um, which you know I'm insulin dependent, so mm-hmm. uh, it took a took a little bit of a time to get adjusted to it and everything. But uh, once I got used to it, it wasn't too bad. So what's that mean? You're insulin dependent, but does that mean are you giving yourself shots? You know, are you on an insulin pump? There, there are different ways to do it. So, what's that mean for you on a daily basis, yeah, as yeah. far as the insulin? Yeah, so there's there's different ways to do it now. They got pumps. I like I'm kind of old school. I like to use the syringe and the mm-hmm. you know the, the needle and everything because I feel like I got a little bit more of my own control over it. Right. Um, but I have uh, Dexcom, it's like a continuous glucose monitor which tells me my blood sugar all throughout the day and everything so if uh, you're too high too high you got to give yourself got to give insulin. myself some insulin and too when low, low orange juice gatorade candy anything to get it up uh sometimes you know, it's kind quick. of sometimes it's kind of nice when we get low oh right? yeah you get, like, get a little treat there <laughs> get a little treat yeah. you gotta you gotta be a good you gotta be a good boy you know like yeah. the rest of the time but, the rest yeah. of the time you know trying to keep your carb intake sugar down but uh, you can get get those loads get a little a little snack and in some ways it's probably helpful that you work for the Texans and, and work for an NFL team because of the medical staff that's on hand to, you know, support you, help right, you out, and right. all that other yeah, stuff. Yeah, the right? guys here, training room, real great. Uh, staying on top of it, anything that I need, uh, my prescriptions, my medicine. If yeah. I'm low during practice or high during practice or whatever, uh, they're always right on top of it. So great, great staff here. Do you interact or, or come in contact with folks that have type one diabetes? I mean, it's typically kids get diagnosed, but. You're seeing older people now get diagnosed with it too. You're you're active in the community. I mean, we always see you doing stuff, you know, on Tuesdays yeah. and going to hospitals or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm I imagine you run into diabetics from time to time. Yeah, right? from time to time. And then it's 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 fun, you know, to share not I wouldn't say fun, it's it's definitely a not a good thing to have, but right. uh but to share those stories, you know, those you know, being guys or people overcoming it and still being successful and productive in society. And uh, when I run into the kids, just letting them, because, you know, when you're young, you kind of, you kind of feel like an outcast, you know, kind of, you know, not a lot of, not a, I mean, kids have it, but it's not common, common, you know, and more than likely you'll be one of few kids in your school to have it. Uh, So kids kind of feel like an outcast sometimes, but, you know, just kind of giving them the confidence to know that, They'll be okay. They'll be able to do everything they need to do uh, that they want to do through life uh, and not to be shy about it. And that'll do it for tonight's show. Big thanks to Drew, to DP. Congratulations to DeAndre Carter. And a huge, huge thanks from me, DP, Drew, Texans, the city of Houston, to Jonathan Joseph for all he did and has done and will continue to do for the city of Houston. Thank you very much, JJ. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And as always, go Texans.